Well, good evening. Welcome to Trinity Church for our Maundy Thursday service this year. So glad that you are here. I ask you to stand now. We'll let the Lord call us to worship. Call us into his presence from this great prophecy of our Savior's suffering from Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off? out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. Oh, Father, would you be with us tonight? Holy Spirit, would you come and would you take these somber, truths of the gospel, and would you impress them upon our hearts? Would you remind us, would you reveal to us the deep love of yours and of God the Son for us that would cause this to happen for our benefit? Would you help us to get a sense of what it is like to be loved in that way? And would the sense of that love change us and transform us from the inside out? We pray in Christ's name. Amen.
Please be seated. The scripture reading this evening is from Mark chapter 15, verses 16 through 39. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed, and spitting on him, and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak, and put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, Lama Sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion, who stood facing him, saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. Let's take this opportunity now for a period of confession of our sins before the Lord. If you'll read the bold-shaded portions in response. Merciful God, we have not loved you with all our heart and mind and strength and soul. Lord, have mercy. We have not loved our neighbors as you have taught us. Christ, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. We are indifferent to the saving grace of your word and life. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Forgive and heal us by your steadfast love made known to us in the passion, death, 
and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Stricken, smitten, and afflicted, see him dying on the tree. Tis the Christ thy man rejected, yes, my soul, tis he deceived. Tis the long-expected take some time this evening meditating on Psalm 22. I don't know if that's a text that you normally go to in your minds at this time of the year. Uh, if it's not, it should be. And hopefully tonight, after tonight, it will be. Um, for lack of a better word, this psalm is just so mysterious to me because of its dual nature. It is at the same time a psalm of David and, and, and about David, but also of, of the greater David. 
Scripture often shows us folks in the Bible, especially early on, who are forerunners of Jesus. The Bible speaks of Adam, our first representative, and of the second Adam, our better representative. Uh, Moses spoke of a prophet who would come after him, who would be greater than he. David in Psalm 110, and this made its way into the lyrics of that stricken, smitten hymn that we just sang. Uh, David speaks of one of his descendants being his Lord, right? In, in another hymn that we sing, Hail to the Lord's Anointed, we, we sing of great David's greater son. Jesus quotes this psalm, this 110, speaking of one of David's descendants being his Lord. He quotes that psalm in a discussion with the Pharisees, giving them quite a conundrum to figure out and, and to deal with. Throughout Scripture, there are many people who together with their experiences foreshadow and predict the greater and later coming work of Jesus. And so it is with Psalm 22, a psalm of David that is about David and also about the greater David. And we know that it has to be about more than just simply David the, the son of Jesse, the king of Israel, the historical figure. We know it has to be about more than just him because of what's described in this psalm. It, it can't be fully explained by any of the situations that we know to have occurred in David's life. Many of the psalms we can sort of associate and say, oh, well, this must have been near the time of his sin with Bathsheba, or this must have been when he was fleeing from Absalom. Uh, and some of the, the headers even des describe that for us. There's nothing in David's life that we can pin Psalm 22 on. The suffering described here is too great. The, the sense of abandonment is too much. The event itself that is being described here never happened to David. What's being described in these verses is an execution, plain and simple. And David experienced a lot of trouble in his life, a lot of highs and a lot of lows. But never this. And it would be a little troubling to us, a little concerning even, of what do we make of this? Because we can't find anything that happened in David's life that would have necessitated this. So is it made up? What is the deal? Uh, we, we hold highly here the, the truthfulness of God's Word. It's inspiration. It's inerrancy. Would this call that into question? No, fortunately, because of the Apostle Peter. Because in Acts 2, verse 30, he helps us out quite a bit. And he tells us, even as he's preaching, he says, David was a prophet. David was a prophet, and he foresaw and he spoke of Christ without even consciously knowing it, which is a miracle in and of itself. So, so the Lord saw fit to take whatever it was that David did experience in his life and through the influence and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to, as it were, amplify those feelings in David's life and in his heart and in his mind so that his experience and his emotions and feelings amplified as they were so that he wrote them down. It moved beyond his own personal experience and foretold the experience of our Lord Jesus. In, in dramatically and supernaturally specific detail. That if you're not familiar with this psalm, this will really come as a shock to you, what we find here. And so tonight I just want to walk through this psalm together, uh, verse by verse, and, and make a few comments along the way, more toward the beginning than the end. Uh, and these comments will more or less fall into one of three categories. It's, it's kind of the three things that we're dealing with here. David's situation, what we can make of it. Jesus' situation that it foretold, and, and some about our own situation, um, the, the usefulness of this psalm to us. And, and it would certainly be uh, just at, at, a, at a bare minimum useful to us just to meditate upon what Jesus experienced for us, right? That, that is life-changing in and of itself for what he experienced for us and in our place and in our stead. But it's also, also useful to us in that this psalm is the lament of an innocent sufferer. 
And as such, it has a lot to say to us, a lot to instruct us about how to process and how to work through pain and suffering and the disorientation that comes when we cannot figure out what God is doing, why we are in the situation that we're in. So let me pray, and then let's walk through this together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we praise you on this evening. We thank you for your word, that it is inspired, that it is useful, that it is true. And so, Holy Spirit, would you open it up to us now, and would you change us by what we encounter therein? We pray in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. And so right out of the gate, we have the most intense, guttural, painful part of the psalm. And certainly there were times in David's life when he felt forsaken. Lots of honest, gut-riching psalms about that that we find. But of course, when you hear those words, when I hear those words, those very first words, my mind is racing to the cross. And to Jesus' cry. And this is so significant for many reasons. This is both Jesus' experience, he's experiencing this, and at the same time, he's quoting scripture. He's been meditating on this psalm, right? He is in unimaginable pain and agony, and where is his mind but on the scriptures? What is he mulling over in his thinking? What he often had throughout his life and his ministry. He knew the word. Is that our experience? Is that where our minds go when the pain, when the suffering roll in? This this forsakenness, this abandonment is certainly worth considering. Many of you know what it's like to experience the loss of a relationship. To experience the brokenness of that. The pain that it involves. And yet here is infinite pain. Here is infinite loss over a relationship because this relationship has existed for eternity. It has never not existed. It has never known anything like what is happening now. Do you understand what's so significant about this about our savior bearing our sin of of becoming sin for us to use paul's language and description this experience this sin bearing sin becoming is what caused the trinity to rip apart the father seeing the newfound sinfulness of his son not his own sinfulness of course but ours, placed on him. Seeing that, the father was left with no other choice but to turn his back. To refuse to answer the cries of his son. To sever that relationship that had existed from eternity past. And ultimately, it's not possible for us to wrap our minds around that. We have nothing to compare it to. We can't pretend to know what that felt like. But we can know what it means for us that he was forsaken. It means that we'll never be forsaken. For him to be abandoned means that we'll never be abandoned. For Jesus to have his cries fall on deaf ears as it were to go unanswered means that our cries will never not be heard and not be answered if we would simply by faith trust that jesus was abandoned for us 
suffering the abandonment that we deserved, but he experienced it in our place. Verse 3, yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel, and you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. Now several things that you need to see here. Number one, right off the bat in verse 3 is the reason for the abandonment. God is holy. He's pure and undefiled by the sin and rebellion of mankind. He's, He's the reason that Jesus had to perfectly fulfill all righteousness for us and then be abandoned by the Father in our stead. The second thing to note here, you need to see this this pattern, this recurring pattern that is set up through the first two-thirds of the psalm. The the pattern is an alternating section of cries of, of pain and anguish and hurt that alternates with sections about our God, about who He is, about what He's done. And so you see this back and forth, back and forth, like clockwork, this pattern goes. Cries of pain and anguish, Sections of focusing on who God is and what he's done. And it is a prescription of sorts for what it should look like for us to wrestle with the Lord. When our experiences have a head-on collision with our theology, when what we think we know to be true about God, about his goodness, about his love, about his control, when those things that we think we know and understand come colliding with our experience, with our pain, with our suffering. I've counseled a a couple of folks this past week for whom this is the battle, right? It's very often the battle for all of us that we face. Is God good? Is he loving And is he in control? We've got to answer those when life blindsides us. And we didn't see it coming and we can't make sense of it. Is he good? Is he loving? Is he in control? And one option is is to throw our hands up in the air and just to quit. Or we can follow the pattern, the example of of the psalmist here where we can be honest with God about what we're experiencing and feeling and hurting. But then we immediately turn to what we know to be true and we wrestle. We fight. We fight to remember and to believe the truth. And one of the very best ways of doing that is to remember, right? It's the way of the Psalms. That's what's happening over and over throughout the Psalms is the struggle, the fight. Remember. Remember what he's done. And you see that here in verses 4 and 5. In you, our fathers trusted. They trusted. You delivered them. To you they cried, were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. We remember God's faithfulness in here in these examples that he's displayed to those who've gone before us. There's a cloud of witnesses before us that would testify he's good. He's loving. He's faithful. He saw me through. He can see you through as well. And so just an aside here, if we're not telling others of the Lord's faithfulness, of his goodness, of his love, if we're not telling our children, what will they use to wrestle and to remember and to fight? Verse 6, but I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me, they make mouths at me, they wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord, let him deliver him, let him rescue him, for he delights in him. And so here we have another section of honest, reflective, agonizing. It's back on the problem, the experience at hand. And we hear, we hear echoes in these verses of Isaiah 53 that we used our call to worship and we see that verse 8 here it happens verbatim at the cross exactly as written it happens at the cross let God deliver him now they mock 
Verse 9, yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth and from my mother's womb. You have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near and there is none to help. And so it's a new section of the wrestling, of the remembering. See, it begins with yet, right? Yet and but and still, those are fighting words. Those are wrestling words when we're trying to reconcile who God is with what we're currently facing and experiencing. And you see the second aspect of the remembering in these verses. Earlier it was remembering God's faithfulness to others. Now it's remembering God's past faithfulness to me. He's been faithful to me. I just need to think about it. I need to recount it. I need to remember it. Verse 12. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers, evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. And so here's the next alternating section. And, and this one's much longer. This one's much, It's almost like in the wrestling process, we had two steps forward and three steps back. And very often that's the case. That's very often what it looks like to wrestle and to fight, to remember. Note again at the end this, this perfectly fulfilled prophecy about the garments of Jesus and earlier on about Jesus being pierced. Verse 19, But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. So here's the last of our alternating sections. It's a crying out to the Lord, which in and of itself is an expression of confidence. I'm crying out to the Lord because I think he can do something about this. But did you notice in verse 21 this very sudden, almost jarring shift? In the middle of the cry for rescue is a declaration that the Lord has done it. So, so what is up with this? And I will admit, to be honest with you, on one level, I'm not sure. On one level, I'm not sure exactly what to make of this in, in tying the David piece and the Jesus piece together. Because if you'll remember for Jesus... His cries for rescue went unanswered. That night in the garden, pleading with God for the, for the cup of His wrath to be taken away. And, and so I don't know precisely how all that fits, but here's what I, what I do know. With this back and forth, with this being honest with God and wrestling and fighting to remember and to believe, fighting to remember who God is and what he's done, there is a moment in that process where by God's grace, the penny drops. And you get for a moment a sense of holy clarity, for lack of a better word. The fog lifts at least for a moment and you can see, yes, he is good. Yes, he, he is in control. Yes, he does love me. Even if the pain isn't immediately taken away or taken away at all as it was not for Jesus that night. 
But there is at least for a moment this gracious awareness that God's working out His plan and that He will carry me through. There, there is hope. Now, Jesus' prayer wasn't answered in the garden that night, but He did know that His ultimate vindication was coming a few days later. And because of His, we can know that ours will come one day as well. Let's finish with this last section. Verse 22. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. In almost all of the Psalms where there is this wrestling, there is this struggling to believe, the Psalms that show this wrestling, this suffering, this pain, this confusion, there's almost always a movement that you can detect that goes from the individual and the isolated to the corporate and the connected and the community. You so often see a movement to either the temple or to the congregation of God's people. It's as if that were part of his ordained process for wrestling, for struggling, for fighting to remember and to believe. There's this movement from wallowing in the problem all by myself to joining my brothers and sisters in worship, having my perspective corrected and fixed again back where it belongs. That's very often where the clarity comes. Verse 23. You who fear the Lord, praise Him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify Him and stand in awe of Him, all you offspring of Israel. For He has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And He has not hidden His face from Him, but has heard when He cried to Him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear Him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek Him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. Do you, do you see what this is in this section? Do you see what this is? This is the giving testimony. This is the bearing witness. This is going to the congregation and telling your sisters and your brothers, this is what the Lord has done. This is how He's been good to me. This is how He's been faithful. And what will the result of that be? Verse 27. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. There's an, there's an echo there of it is finished. Right? He has done it. This is beautiful and this is encouraging. This last section that through our suffering, through our pain and our heartache, what does the Lord very often do? But use that to bless others on the other side of it. to bring healing to our broken places, allowing us to minister to others in their broken places. Bound up that we might bind up. And that's the way of the cross. Right? That's how we are healed. Jesus was broken and abandoned and suffered. By His wounds, we are healed. Let's pray. Oh, Father, the way of the cross, the way of our suffering servant of a Messiah is not what any had imagined. None could have seen this coming It could have only been imagined 
in your mind's eye, in the perfection of your plan and of your ways, that you would bring healing, that you would bring victory, that you would bring wholeness through brokenness, that you would bring life through death. So God, we praise you for the beauty and the wisdom of your plan. Truly, only you could have come up with it. Truly, only you, Lord Jesus, could have carried it out obediently, silently, not seeking vengeance or retribution, but drinking down the cup of God's wrath down to the dregs. We thank you for how you have loved us in this way. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Michael, will you come on forward and be ready to, uh, to help? We'll follow along a, a little different pattern than we normally do tonight uh, as we come and feast at the table. The Lord be with you. Also with you. Lift up your hearts. We will lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right for us to give thanks and praise. And so we, we come to the table tonight and I think of this verse 26. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. we can come to the table tonight and eat and be satisfied, nourished, strengthened, filled because of what our Lord did, because of His abandonment, because of His forsakenness, because He was pierced, because He was mocked, because His cries went unheard. Our cries will always be heard. And so if your trust tonight is in the Lord Jesus, that he was abandoned for you, that he was crushed for you, pierced for your transgressions, if you find your healing not in you trying to be a better person, but in his stripes, then this meal is for you. And if you come with a believing heart tonight, you'll be united by faith to him to his real spiritual presence, though he is at the right hand of God the Father in heaven, you through faith tonight can be united to him. And the same power that raised him from the dead will course through your veins and through my veins, strengthening you, upholding you, nourishing you. And so if that's you tonight, come and eat and be satisfied, we pray. Let's sing.
The body of Christ has been broken for you. Take and eat. Let's sing the second verse. As Christ's blood was being shed for you, He was drinking the cup. He was drinking the cup of the Father's wrath. Earned and deserved by us, He drank it down to the dregs. None remains for you and me. We will never know the Father's wrath because He knew it for us. Drink. We praise you, O Christ, for drinking the cup that we deserved and allowing us to drink yours. We praise you, O Christ, that one day you will return and you will take us with you. And we will drink together. We will feast together. We will eat and we will be satisfied because of your goodness, because of your righteousness. Oh God, would you use these coming days of this season, be at work in our hearts, reveal to us anew and more deeply your love for us, your great, incomprehensible love that you have for us. And would you change us by that? We pray in Christ's name for his sake. Amen. Please stand. Let's sing in response. See?